Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? All right. Episode 15, originally what would have been the season finale had a global <laughs> <had> pandemic <laughs> had a global pandemic not happened and uh destroyed most of what we know as human life. Um but we're having fun here. <laughs> but we're 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 glad to be back. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. This is episode 15 as I stated. Um we uh, hope you enjoyed the last episode. It was our first one back. Rob and I are still quarantining from each other in different rooms of the studio. Uh, so we're going to continue doing what we do best, which is uh, talking about fake movies that we're going to create with our minds. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Rob? Uh, does that mean I don't have to talk? No. It's going to be like a telepathic thing? Nope. you got to talk because Fuck. this is a podcast. Shit. Um, God damn it. So all of the... All the little pop art that you've drawn on the on the wall and just uh, shown me as a as your storyboard does not work for people listening to this podcast. I I, I spent I didn't sleep last night. <laughs> oh look, it's no the one worst. No one told you to do sixteen hours straight of storyboard artwork. I guess. <laughs> I guess you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're we're happy to be here, and uh, this is a fun one. Um, this is the type of one I've wanted to do since we started doing this podcast, goddamn mob movie. Um, so for those of you who don't know about what this episode is, which is literally everybody but Rob and I, uh, today's episode... <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> today's episode is about Ray's Pizza. If you are in or of the area around New York City, you know exactly what Ray's Pizza is. There's Ray's Pizza, there's Original Ray's, there's Famous Ray's, there's Famous Original Ray's. There's the one and only uh, Ray's. Yep, yep. There's there's a lot of different Ray's. However, the the first Ray's Pizza, uh, staple of New York, if you will, originally on Prince Street. I believe the original location has since closed down. Um, yes, the uh, the family sold it uh, after after Raffi died, uh, and I think they made ten million dollars selling the building. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you don't know, they're not only famous for their pizza. Uh, but they're massive amounts of heroin, um, which I did not know. I came across this article. I think this this one I came across a little while back, and I, I put it into our little folder of uh, what do you got possible topics. <laughs> and um, this is this is the one I wanted to do next because I, I wanna I wanna pitch a mob movie. Um, so without further adieu, let's get into the back history and story of uh, the original secret mob of Ray's Pizza. So I'm going to read a little bit. This is a longer article. Again, it'll be linked in the description. I'm going to read a little bit about it and uh, and what it what it says here, who the main players are and such. Uh, starting from the very top, Alfonso Little Al Diarco, acting head of the Lucchesi crime family, was the first mob boss to run gov- to turn government witness. He flipped for the feds in 1991 and helped send more than 50 mobsters to prison. Now in witness protection, this article was written in 2013. 
Diarco shared his story with reporter Jerry Capisci and Tom Robbins for their new book, Mob Boss. Here, Diarco reveals details of one of New York's most storied pizzerias, Ray's. While the name became famous, its real business wasn't pepperoni and cheese. It was heroin. So what the article goes on to explain is Ralph Raffi Cuomo uh, was a young gentleman, first, uh, first-generation American. And a stick-up man. <laughs> and a stick-up man. Uh, 1959, he was arrested. Um, I'm sorry, he was released from prison after a, a short, I think it was like a three-year stretch for armed robbery. Uh, he'd been caught robbing a posh restaurant across the street from the Waldorf Astoria. A uh, shootout erupted. One of his pals was shot dead, and a cop was wounded. He took a pistol whipping from the police. Picture ran in the papers, blood streaming down his face, a patrolman tauntingly pointing a gun at his head. He did serve less than three years, however, and when he got back out, um, he opened up a pizzeria on the ground floor of an old tenement at 27 Prince Street, where he'd grown up. He used recipes his mother had bought from Italy. He called the place Ray's Pizza. He would later explain that Ralph's Pizza sounded too feminine to him. Ralph's Pizza. <laughs> he Welcome to Ralph's Pizza. Uh, he was a good cook. He had a white pizza, no tomatoes, that drew crowds. The restaurant became popular and the name famous, but sauce and mozzarella were only a sideline. Shop's real trade was drugs. Uh, the article goes on to explain that he actually uh, befriended the Di Palermo brothers, who were a part of the Lachesi crime family, ran by uh, Al Diarco. Uh, the oldest of the clan, Joseph, Joe Beck Di Palermo, was a short, wispy man with thick, horn-rimmed glasses, considered by law enforcement to be, quote, the dean of the dope dealers. His younger brother, Charles, Charlie Brody, and Peter, Petey Beck Di Palermo, they served as able assistants as well. Uh, after Charlie actually married Raffi's older sister, Marion, Cuomo was welcomed into the family business. Al Diarco had always been wary of Raffi Cuomo, considering him to be wi- too wild to trust. Uh, today, from witness protection, Diarco recalled he was a stick-up guy taking chances on armed robberies. Basically, continues for many, many years, uh, they were very successful at dealing heroin in and out of the basement of Ray's Pizza. None of the actual Prince Street crew, which they were called, used drugs themselves, which I usually feel like that actually leads to a more successful business. Once you start dabbling in your own own product, yeah. (laughs) Once you start dabbling in your own product, things go downhill because you know it's heroin. Uh, But they did have another addiction that drove them to ever larger heroin deals. "Quote: They were all degenerate gamblers. Each one of them. They would gamble hundred thousand dollars, lose it, and then have to do another dope deal." Diarco revealed. Um, it goes on to say continually uh, that the drugs and the cash were handled in the pizzeria's unfinished basement directly beneath the ovens. The place had whitewashed walls and a, like a dirt floor. Tree trunks, polished but untrimmed and dating from the turn of the century, held up the floor joints. They had one of Joe Becky's kids, Anthony, going over to the East River Savings Bank at Lafayette and Spring Street with bags of bills. They had a guy in the bank on their payroll who handled the money for them. They made millions uh, in heroin. Uh, all the brothers and Raffi did. That's what they were about. They never stopped dealing. They they were at it night and day. Throughout the years, uh, turns out that the drugs started to kind of be sold right on their property, uh, right at Prince Street, and Diarco was not happy about that, especially considering that his children ended up being one of the buyers. Uh, so there was an unwritten rule that the mob didn't deal in drugs, but Diarco, of course, knew the truth that that's 
not how things work. Uh, so once he got wind of the fact that the drugs were being pushed on their own streets, uh, Diarco, who was, again, the head of the family, uh, was not too happy about that. Ray's Pizza did take off, but he's, his success was more in drug money than it was in actually pizza, even though the restaurant really did find some high success and a lot of fame. The, the best slice of white pie there was. Yeah. The DA's uh, office actually planted bugs in the pizzeria three times, but was unable to come up with any evident proof to uh, to bring them to justice. Um, I believe the article states that going on into the, to the earlier late 90s, uh, Cuomo continued to... Uh, to deal drugs out of the pizza's ba- uh, pizzeria's basement. In October of 95, drug enforcement agents finally arrested the founder, charging him with operation operating a vast narcotics network from New York's most famous pizzeria. He delayed the inevitable for several years, finally cutting a favorable deal, agreeing to serve four years. At sentencing, his attorney made a last-ditch effort to reduce the term further, arguing that prison stress could kill his 62-year-old client who was ailing from heart disease, diabetes, and recent back surgery. Uh, prosecutors pointed out, however, that the pizza artist, which is what they, they call him, which I find is an interesting term, seemed to be in decent shape. He'd spent the previous night betting at the Meadowlands. He survived that third prison term, returning to Prince Street after doing his time to oversee his still-popular restaurant. That's where he was in April of 2008 when complications from diabetes and the heart ailment did him in. Service was held across the street at Old St. Patrick's Cathedral. Three years later, Ray's uh, sold its last pie when Cuomo's family shuttered the landmark pizzeria, and again, as Rob stated, it was sold. Um, as things turned out, the real estate was almost as profitable as the drug sales. In 2011, Cuomo's heirs sold the five-story tenement at 27 Prince Street with the old tree trunks in the basement. The price tag, $5.9 million. That's a, that's a hell of a chunk of change. That is a, that is a hefty amount of money or moolah. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 the story, it's the story of his life, uh, finding success in the mob, finding success in drug dealing, finding success in one of the most famous pizzerias in American history. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically it. It just, it's it's about his life and it's a really good read. It, it is a longer read, so I do recommend going through it because it does go into a little bit more detail than obviously I felt necessary going into right now. It's a it's a really fascinating story. Yeah, there's just so, so many cool little details that we're not going to be able to share with you. So definitely check it out. And I think somebody's writing a book about it. I believe um, so, yeah, because there was a book that came out about Diarco. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, he he was pretty much the first mobster to really go to the uh, feds and turn on. Uh, it was the, the first boss. Business. Yeah, the first yeah. boss. Um, but yeah, that that's that's basically everything. So uh, there's a lot of things to condense here, but um, yeah, Nick, what do you got? All right. So my movie, as I said, is is basically an a mob biopic. Um, I, I had trouble choosing my director because I was going back and forth between Ridley Scott and Andrew Dominic. Um, I ended up choosing Andrew Dominic because that motherfucker never gets the respect that he deserves. <laughs> uh, the two movies that he has directed are two of my all time favorite movies, assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford and killing them softly. Unfortunately, for some reason, his movies tend to fail miserably at the box office. Um, so it's, it's tough for him to, to get his name on, on these top billings, but I would love to see him take on another mob movie considering killing them softly was in my opinion, one of the best mob movies we've probably had in the 21st century. 
Um, it's inter- I don't actually view it as a mob movie. No? No. I mean, uh, obviously the details of it are about a guy who kills people for money. But um, I think it's ultimately a movie about American economics. I mean, it definitely is, con- considering it takes place in 08, you know, when the economy crashed and everything. Um, but yeah, I was between him and I was between Ridley Scott, mainly for American Gangster. Because uh, that is also one of my favorite mob movies of all time. Um, I have been, I don't know if I told you, Rob, I have been quite smitten with the TV show Suits recently. Yes, you've been posting about I've it. I've been I've been <laughs> binging that, and I absolutely love it. I'm it's in, a good show. It is. Uh, I'm in mid-season three right now. There's a princess? There, um. there is a princess, and I say that every time she appears on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's a princess. Um, so my choice for Ray, actually, is Patrick J. Adams, who plays Mike on Suits. Okay. Um, I wanted someone a little bit younger because this is the type of thing that I think would end up being uh, similar to uh, Scorsese's The Irishman, where you kind of follow the life age makeup mm-hmm. and get all that stuff going. The rest of my cast of characters for Joseph D. Palermo, I chose Sean Penn. Mm. For Charles D. Palermo, I cho- uh, chose uh, Ray Fiennes. For Al Diarco, got to go with a Dominic alum and a mob alum, Ray Liotta. Hey. And for he's the not d- actually Italian, I feel. I know, he's not. That's it's great. crazy. <laughs> um, for I-, I added in a detective character to kind of keep it grounded in terms of following the the Cuomo family business and everything. I actually chose Vince Vaughn. Okay. Um, I'd love to see him play something a little bit more serious in his, not that he's old, but in his older age. Um, you know, he plays a lot of slapstick comedies, a lot of fun comedies and stuff. Uh, I'd love to see him take on a more serious role um, where he can kind of like dig his feet into maybe being a dirty cop, maybe not. I didn't really, uh, I didn't really dig into that too much. Uh, I would probably say he's a little bit dirty. Trying to go after uh, Cuomo and the uh, Ray's Pizza. Uh, a couple titles that I came up with were The Pie Guy, <laughs> Famous Original, Prince Street, and Brick Oven. Ooh, I like Brick Oven. Yeah, Brick Oven <laughs> I actually came up with on the way over here. Um, because Brick kind of has, you know, two connotations to it. Obviously, Brick Oven Pizza, but also Bricks of Heroin. Um, <laughs> and just maybe hiding them in the, the oven as well. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically... What I came up with was the idea of a mob biopic uh, about Ray's Pizza and and how it really changed life in New York City and uh, brought in a lot of heroin. (laughs) Uh, So that's basically what I have, and I'd love to kind of put this together as a film we can pitch, which is what this podcast is about. So, Rob, (laughs) what do you got? Okay. Um, So uh, just to to start off with the essentials, um, I I went a little bit older with my cast. Unfortunately, there's not like a lot of young Italian American actors you can really point out and be like. There, there seemed to have been like a a huge swell of that of guys who were getting trained in New York uh, acting schools in like the '70s and the '80s, mm-hmm. uh, and there was that whole class. But I can't think of a lot of younger ones. So I went. I tried not to go too old because I knew we were going to have to do some aging back mm-hmm. and forth with them, and we saw that to mixed success in The Irishman. Like, sometimes it looked really, really good, but Robert De Niro is almost 80 and can't move like he's 35. That, I, I think we've actually had that conversation yeah. before. As good <clears throat> as the CGI might have looked in The Irishman, you can change a face all you want. You cannot change the movement of an 80-year-old man to look like a 40-year-old man. Yeah. He just, he he, he tried to, like, crouch once to do, like, a combat stance and yeah. shoot Joe Gallo, and it looked just, I'm like, ugh, <laughs> beating up this guy who was making fun of his dog. Yeah, like, yeah, when he throws the guy out of the uh, the corner store, and he's, like, We're kicking him on the, movie. yeah. Clearly a second unit director <laughs> uh, getting that shot. Um, 
So uh, the cast I went with um, was Ray Romano as Rafi Cuomo. Who is also in The Irishman. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Turturro as the oldest uh, of the uh, the brothers. Uh, uh, what was is it Joey Beck? Uh, Joey Beck is. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, Joe Joe Beck. Joey Beck I think yeah. he goes by uh, Stanley Tucci, uh, <sighs> one of my favorite character actors, as Al Diarco, uh, and the director I chose was Ben Affleck. Nice. Uh, yep, because uh, I've had him in my back pocket for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, and basically, something I want to do with this is. Combine these two notions of the American gangster film. When you do think of a mafia movie um, in America, you think of two things. You think of The Godfather and you think of Goodfellas. Mm -hmm. Um, And these could not be more different films in their approach to the subject matter. Absolutely. The Godfather is not an accurate film or even really a film about the mafia. Yeah. Uh, The Godfather is a fantasy film. Yeah, it's a fiction. It's Um, a fiction book. Yeah, it's completely fictional. Um... No one is like that mm-hmm. in American organized crime, especially the Italians. In fact, you could make the point that that movie taught them how to behave to a certain extent. Mm. Uh, these are murderers and extortionists and gamblers and loan sharks. Um, and Goodfellas, on the other hand, is, I think, one of the best historical films ever made. Hmm. Um, it's incredibly accurate to the source material and the character of things. And you see the way that these people actually are. Yeah. They're not good people. Yeah. They're fun. <laughs> They're great to watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so reconciling those two notions is is why I chose Stanley Tucci to play Al Diarco because I I want that character to be the leading character of the film. Mm. Um, in s- sort of that he learns the the disillusionment that it's this is not like The Godfather. Like, yeah. We all play act like it is, and do the hey and kissing the rings and talk about honor and respect, but it, it's. It's not. It's Goodfellas. It's Ray Liotta losing his mind over cocaine. Yeah. Um, and and learning that track of disillusionment is why I wanted to pick Ben Affleck as the director, because he is really good at doing like the camaraderie and friendship of very tight knit groups, as yeah. we saw with like the town. Um, and he's also really really good with showing the way things fall apart. So not only that, but Live by Night was actually an excellent gangster movie too. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just tracking the notion that like you know this is hey this is your neighborhood uh, uh, pizza place and yeah it's mobbed up but you know we love our we love our neighborhood gangsters and yeah. all this because even my family still talks about those kinds of people in very positive terms. Yeah. And like if you talk to you know your grandparents or even your parents and you mention John Gotti, they tend to smile. Yeah, like they liked these guys. Yeah, but underneath that is a basement full of heroin, and now they're selling it to your fucking kids. Yeah. So, really, I, I would love to explore pulling back that layer of absolutely performative Italian American experience. Okay. And uh, that's my that's my idea. <laughs> um, titles? Anything? Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I like your brick oven title a okay. lot. The ones I came up with were Doe, uh, The Racketeer, and Prince Street. Okay, yeah, I came up with Prince Street, too. That's mm-hmm. funny. Um, yeah, The Racketeer sounds like The Irishman and stuff. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. similar in those. I just like The Rocketeer. Rocketeer is awesome. <laughs> similar in those regards. Uh, no, I like the idea you're coming up with, the idea of kind of, it's, it's a, it's a small town story. In a big city. Yep. You know? Um, and I think that's, I think Affleck as a director could really hone that in considering the town. Mm-hmm. Um, 
think the town is a perfect example of what you're trying to go with there. And I would definitely agree that he could probably bring he could definitely bring his directorial style to make this film more personal than you'd expect it to be, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So let's put this thing together, shall we? Yeah, let's 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 kit bash our way through the cast real quick. Okay. Uh, uh, so you chose for Cuomo, you chose Ray, Ray Romano. Romano. Mm-hmm. People instinctively trust Ray Romano. <laughs> he's a fantastic actor. He is. He's very good. And he, I'm so glad he's starting to get more recognition beyond Everybody Loves Raymond. Um, he was excellent in what was the Kumail Nanjiani movie where he played the father. Uh, Love Sick. Oh, you mean the one he uh, Kamel wrote about him and his wife? Yes. Oh, um, yeah. I, the something heart. I I forget the title. The the big sick. The big, big sick. sick. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. it is. That's it. Um, yeah, great script. Great, great scripts. movie. Uh, yeah, Ray Romano's excellent in that. He's mm-hmm. excellent in The Irishman for the, for the amount of time that he has on screen. Um, yeah, you really find out what a good actor he is once. You realize that he's not really like the character from Everybody Loves Raymond at all. Yeah. Because, like, at its core, uh, it's an Italian cast. It's actually a show about a Jewish family. Yeah. If you look at executive producer and writer uh, Phil Rosenthal, who behaves like the Ray character all the time, I'm like, oh, shit, they they tricked us. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. I'm just trying to see where I would want to put it in terms – because I think – if we're talking in terms of production, hiring a younger actor to portray older is always going to be easier. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm, I'm torn between using Patrick J. Adams, just because I'm obsessed with suits right now, and between using Ray Romano. I love the idea of Stanley Tucci. I'm willing to let go of Ray Liotta. <laughs> um, and who did you choose? Did you choose the De, Pil- De Palermo brothers? I just I just did the oldest one. Um, and who did you put down again? I, I did John Turturro. You did Totoro. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say we can't – That's you know what? That's tough because Sean Penn is the type of actor where, like, he's so good at so many different things. Like, you think about him in Mystic River. Mm. It's one of his best performances of all time. And that's kind of what I see in terms of Joseph DiPalermo uh, is just kind of like that – He's that he's that gang guy, you know. He's, I mean, there's there's three brothers, right? Yeah, yeah. There's Charles, <laughs> there's Charles, Joseph, and Peter. Yeah, I mean, we can we can bash those together. So I'm fine with using. Uh, if you want to use John Turturro as Joseph, then I would say we can use Sean Penn as Charles. Uh, granted, age wise, it doesn't probably add up, but um, I think Turturro is older. Is he? I'm not 100 really? percent sure though. I know they're both like in their fifties. Yeah, they're definitely both in their fifties. Let's actually see real quick. Um, and then for Peter, we can either take Ray Fines or we can uh, we could bring someone else in. I don't I mean, know Peter's how much. Peter's meant to be the youngest. Yeah, so you'd have to. So Sean Penn was born in '60. John Turturro was born in '57. He is older than Penn. Yeah. Interesting. So. Actually, um, a pretty so, yeah. good director in his own right. Yeah, yeah. Um, damn it, I love I. I gotta find a way to use Andrew Dominic, but I think I like the idea of Ben Affleck. Um, um, so I'm good with Affleck coming in. Uh, I do still want to keep Vince Vaughn as the detective. I think there should be a detective. Sure. Um, definitely some, you know, some family members. And again, it's it's gotta have, it's gotta be split between biopic and between small town um, criminal act, mm-hmm. uh, criminal acts. Uh, so I think so. You said that Diarco is actually your main player. Yeah, and 
the 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 goal there is is what so is it told from his point of view um yeah yeah through his through his interactions with that location i mean bringing in that much money in heroin and eventually him working his way up to boss i assume through a lot of the history of this he was a soldier and then a captain and then eventually became boss um that you know when he gets to higher level positions that's going to be an important part of the the empire mm-hmm. um moving that much h uh, God, it sounds like they were just printing money. Oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah. and yeah, the kickups from that are going to be like twenty percent to your to your local captain. Uh, so I, I like the idea that he he does not want to see some of the things that are really going on until it impacts him personally. Okay, and knows people out are... out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. until he knows people who are now basically junkies. Yeah, because these guys have got to fuel their habit uh, for the ponies. Yeah. Um. So I think from the outsider perspective, because otherwise we're sitting in the pizzeria with these guys the whole time, and we've kind of like done that thematically with other movies we've pitched. Uh huh. It's yeah. It's it's just it's, sitting with a crew. Isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I, yeah, I, th- I think a character study from his perspective is uh is a more interesting way to go now in your mind is this being told in flashbacks when he's speaking to the fbi is that getting a little bit too close to the irishman Hmm. because i I mean that's the way it happened right so that it makes sense to do it that way where he's telling the flashbacks of speaking to the fbi after he's decided to turn in the 90s yeah i think that's actually a really brilliant idea because then we really establish with that bookend at the front that like no one of his level in in a family has ever flipped before. Yeah, and you're and it's it. We're making it a huge deal, and he's going to testify, and we're sitting down, and he's giving his first statements to whatever detective that's yeah. in charge of of his case, and like people are going to be very curious as to you know why, and we got to do the tracking of the whole story of his disillusionment. So yeah, that's a really good idea with the bookend. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. So we 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 start it in terms of Tucci is now maybe in his eighties or or even nineties or so. Um, I mean, this guy's still alive, right? Oh, he is, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. So I guess he's probably in his seventies so, or so. Yeah. So he was probably. I mean, if he was a boss, I think he was. Let's say he would have. He. I mean. I mean, Gotti became a boss in like his mid 40s early 50s i think so diarco was born in 32 okay so he's 86 right now so he was 59 when he flipped oh no i apologize he died last year oh okay so he he was 59 years old when he flipped then yeah okay so he's okay so stucci's stucci (laughs) stucci's age stucci gang stucci gang um (laughs) yeah so we we bring in the idea that uh he's talking to a detective finally flipping what what leads him to want to do it, et cetera, et cetera, and we flash back to the idea, but the the flashback I think is still based around even though Tucci is our main player, it's it's still based around Cuomo and and Ray's Pizza and what mm. they're doing there. Yep. The the Lucchesi crime family had their hand in a lot of different pies. Oh yeah. But but this is the one that we want to focus on, um, and I I'm I'm still torn between who I want for Cuomo. <laughs> I like the idea because Patrick J. Adams. I think he's got a really good. He's got a really I'm good. Look rage. at his face real quick because I can't. I can't bring it to mind off the top of my head. Yeah, I think he has a really good rage in in from what I've again. I've only seen him in suits. 
Um, but I, I like the range he has and the rage that he can can showcase in scenes. Um, oh, he's 38. He's older than I thought he was. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's near 40 now. Um, but then there's Ray Romano. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you do? Okay, I have an idea. Let's use Patrick J. Adams as Cuomo, and then let's pull in Romano as one of the De Palermo brothers. Okay, yeah. So then we've got... Tritero, Penn, and uh, uh, I just and, uh, Ray Romano as the deep player. Marvel. Yes, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's good. So we got Patrick J. Adams, Joe we're going to keep Turturro, and then Charlie and Peter we can kind of go back and forth between who we want. So Turturro, and I would say, I guess Charlie's uh, Sean Penn, and then Peter will use Ray Romano. Works. Uh, we obviously don't have any female characters in this movie, so... There's never any in these movies. Yeah, wish, there's, yeah. there's the wife and the, the the girlfriend and stuff. For as, you know, matriarchal in the home life as Italians tend to be. Yeah. Centered around, it's always centered around your mom and your, and your grandma. Yeah. In Italian families. They want absolutely none of it in their professional lives. Yeah. It's very strange. Well, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I mean, you think of all the characters, that the, the female characters that have been in mob movies. I mean, Sharon Stone in, in, uh, in Goodfellas. That was a uh, Casino. Casino, sorry, sorry, Lorraine sorry. Bracco and Goodfellas. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know the the grandmother, an American gangster. <laughs> uh, she won a she won an Academy Award for that very very late. Oh, Ruby D. Yeah, in life, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, it's very much kind of out of sight, out of mind, which is kind of what you're talking about when it comes to uh, Diarco's character because he's fine with all of it until he starts to see. Not only is it being sold on his streets. It's being sold to his family, and they do have this "quote unquote" unwritten rule that the mob doesn't deal in mm. drugs. If you're going to deal in drugs, fine, just keep yep. it out of my town. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a scene in The Godfather when all the uh, the heads of the families are meeting and they're talking about getting into importing heroin. Finally, yeah, this guy stands up and he makes it like this very like he's 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 going to do this moral speech about it, and he's like, "I don't want it sold near schools. Mm-hmm. I don't want it sold to children." And then, of course, he, he ruins the moral center of this and say, ah, sell it to the colored people anyway. They're animals. Let them lose their souls. Yeah. And that's the attitude that these guys had. Yeah. Absolutely. So we, we, we focus on him telling this story of, of Ray's Pizza opening up <clears throat> and uh, dealing with heroin in the basement and sending it out. And as we progress through the movie, uh, it starts to get a little bit bigger than maybe they expected. Uh, it starts to be way more in demand than they had originally yep. thought it would be. And as they continue to do it, maybe there's the conversation between the De Palermo brothers and Cuomo just being like, look, we got, we got people who want this stuff right now. <laughs> and, you know, they're sitting there like, okay, well, you know, let's ship it out. It's like, no, 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 no. We got people right here who want this stuff right now. Yeah. <laughs> and they're kind of having that, that moral dilemma of hey, look, do we do we sell this stuff out of the pizzeria? Do we? Do I don't we... even know if it's a moral dilemma for those guys. I guess it's not. Uh, your favorite pony's got three to one odds at the track. We got to get down there. That's true. Yeah. So I mean, well, okay. So it's you don't think there's a moral dilemma for their characters at all for about them? No. For selling it on their street? No. So they automatically are just like, look, we can. We don't need to ship it anywhere. It's right here. Let's just do yeah. it. Yeah, make more money. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, but the idea maybe is that they're trying to keep it from Diarco. Oh, of course. Uh, so they're trying to, you know, keep it on the down low, keep it uh, quiet um, until we do get to that that riveting scene where maybe it's his daughter that buys or or his son. 
um, buying for the first time. And, you know, maybe he comes home with a, a slice of white pie and, and underneath it in the in the paper bag with the paper plate that's mm-hmm. covering the pizza, there's there's a little something, yeah, there's a little, little something vial. extra there, a little vial of brown stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I always forget that heroin's brown. <laughs> good heroin is brown. <laughs> ah, the good stuff. Um, yeah, so we we kind of force Tucci's hand almost in that as the daughter or son comes home and he maybe he got pizza for the family, you know, mm-hmm. brought home a pie and. Uh, as he puts it down, Diarco looks under the pizza box and, and sees a little something extra there. And um, my question is, does does the family know? I guess it, the family has to know what he's involved in. Oh, yeah, of course. But yeah. do they know, one, do they know that he's involved with the pizzeria? Two, do they know that he's involved with drugs? Because from what we've read and what we've discussed, it doesn't seem like that's something that he was ever fond of. I mean, a lot of those guys moralize to themselves and, and lead their families to believe that, oh, you know, we, you know, we do gambling and we give people loans and yeah. this and that, and that's that's kind of the the play. And like, I don't do I don't do the dealing myself. There's we got we're affiliated with like you know some people in Newark who do that, but yeah. like we don't do that. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. A lot of, a lot of them were like that for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a lot of it's a lot of lying to. Uh, to the family about what the actual business he's in. Uh, it's similar, or I guess it, it's really not similar, but the idea of the Sopranos, how Tony Soprano doesn't want to talk to his kids about it. He doesn't want them yeah. knowing. The wife, the wife kind of knows, but she, yeah. you know, puts it out of her mind and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, she's got a beautiful house. And yeah. Then, you know. Um, so we have probably, I would say, between early 60s to mid 90s is when the movie takes place between flashbacks and and uh, and and telling the story mm-hmm. um which I, I think is you know that's perfect timeline yeah uh, when you when you come to think about a mob movie you're gonna think between the 60s and 90s probably yeah yeah um but where do we where do we take it what's the what's What's the arc for act two or what is what is when is the deciding factor? That he decides to go to the FBI, or how do mm-hmm. we deal with that without it being in the 70s, considering he decided to do it in the 90s? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do we find that overarching uh, plot point for his character to still be in the actual correct chronology and in the correct mm-hmm. timeline of what happened? I mean, I guess technically he would be less and less involved um, on a personal level with the pizza place, the higher in the family he got. Mm-hmm. So, hmm, I'm trying to think. Like you know, basically, it's it's a center of that world. This place, both as a hangout and a money-producing uh, institution. Yeah, but um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like he goes straight from the pizza place to a police station. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it 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 probably compounds with a bunch of other things. Uh, of just a and some some we have to have some kind of moment of introspection where he he. Comes to the conclusion that there's no such thing as honor, yeah. In this in this American institution, that's just a line they feed you so that you don't flip on people. So I would say maybe we stretch the truth a little bit. Maybe one of his children dies from a drug overdose. You know, yeah, maybe no, it's certainly dramatic. <laughs> yeah, maybe they got maybe they got yeah. hooked because uh, we don't know exactly when. I think it's at seventy nine or so when he's when his children actually. We're buying. So if you think about it in 1980, maybe 10 years or so, go on a huge bender 
and uh, one of his kids dies, and mm-hmm. that's that's finally the straw that breaks the camel's back, you know? Yeah. It's, uh... oh, wow, he had five kids. Jesus. Yeah. Bam. <laughs> uh, Italian families, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, maybe, maybe come late 80s or so, one of his kids dies. And, Let's see, uh, he didn't become a made man until 1982. Who, Diarco? Yeah. Now, what does that mean, made man? Does that mean in terms of being the head of the family? No. When you get made, like, there there are ranks to it. Like, most people are what's called associates. Okay. Like, you're not really in it. You're not in you're, the family. But you're kind of a freelancer. Like uh, uh, the Iceman. Yeah. He yeah, was, he would be an associate. Yeah. And then the guy he worked for would be a soldier who is yeah. a made man. Richard, and then you have a lot of protections, like you know, a made guy can't be killed without approval from a boss. Right, because there is um, there is something, as far as they're aware, there is sort of an honor. Yeah, loyalty you, can, you to, can't hit a made guy. To these rules, um, even if even if you're another made guy, like yeah. you're just not supposed to do these things. It's there's a lot of privileges that come with it. Yeah, and then from there you can be a captain of a crew, and then then there's the boss. It's crazy how they actually have such a crate, like such a strict hierarchy yep. for uh, for mob families and stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess what we would do is get to the point where he is now the made man. He's head of the Lucchesi crime family, and he's kind of turned a blind eye throughout the last two decades or so to what's going on because hey, it's making them money. Yeah. Um, so but he then yeah, so he doesn't get made until 1982. Apparently, yeah. there was some kind of like freeze on putting new members on for a long time because hmm. of a bunch of snitches. <laughs> snitches get stitches. <laughs> Let's see. We do. We do definitely have to do like the yeah. Okay, so where are we going with the detective? Because he's got to be there throughout. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, there's a detective. We involved. have to. Yeah, we have the detective. He has to be there throughout. The DA's office planted the bug three times in the pizzeria and came up with nothing or nothing that they could truly use as evidence. Um, so we, you know, that's got to be a big plot point. Them planting the bugs three separate times, or at least planting it just once. Maybe mm. you don't have to go three times, um, but planting it and not being able to get anything from it. So you got this detective following this case throughout. Let's say maybe he's tipped off 75 and he's there till, you know, till Diarco tells him his story in the 90s. Um, so you have this kind of this this enemy relationship between the detective and the family until the 90s when Diarco and him sort of form this. Yeah, I wouldn't say bond, but maybe they form this, you know understanding yeah because it's 91 that he makes that decision so he gets made in 82 and then that's you know i guess when he starts now that he has that rank and privilege in the family that's probably when he started like you can't ignore these things anymore because now you are a guy who is getting all the information yeah and like a lot of these guys have to report to you absolutely so now, you know, there's a nine-year period from that to when he, he, he flips. Maybe maybe we, we, we flip the truth a little bit also. Maybe we do have him flip on smaller things throughout those nine years uh, to the detective. So in a way, he's kind of an informant mm-hmm. um, where he finally decides to come forward about the big thing in the end. But throughout the nine years, he's become a made man. He's tipping him off to small things. Whether or not it's his family or another family that he's tipping them off to, just kind of like gives him some key pointers to, you know, bring down some people and bring down some organizations and such. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I was I was just reading the part of what prompted him to to 
turned government witness was that he he believed he was being set up to be killed. Okay, that's definitely um, a big so. Then point. we can yeah, because these these guys who were uh, also high ranked in the family thought that he was. Um, I don't know if they thought he was going to become a witness or if they thought or if they wanted control of the family themselves. Yeah. Um, okay, th- so in 1991, he was replaced his acting boss with a, a four-man sort of panel that okay. ran the family. Like a board. <laughs> and he was he was one of them, but it was it, it became obvious that these guys were maneuvering for more yeah. power. Um, yeah, so he felt his life was threatened. I guess then if he was kind of reduced... Oh, shit. I unplugged my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Everything all right? Can you hear me? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we go. I unplugged my microphone. Uh, I guess if he was reduced in power from being the sole boss to being one of four, mm-hmm. kind of take away the like you yeah. know the 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 what's it called the um when you have a board of directors and one of them owns fifty one percent of the shares. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like uh, he's getting maneuvered. Maybe it's because he started. He's like you know trying to move things away from drugs. Maybe, yeah, maybe starting starting to soften. You yeah. Know? And that's a big part of it, is this detective has been on him for, like, nine years now. Like, you can't avoid these things. You know what's happening. Yeah. Go down. To the, he's been trying. You know what? He's been trying to get him to go to the basement. Like, the detective's the pe- trying to be getting him to. Yeah, like, you go down there for yourself and see what they're doing. Yeah. And see where it's going. It's all labeled. Yeah. And, like, that's a big prompting for him to be like, I think the Lucchese family should move away from this. And they kind of undercut his power. And then he he makes that introspection we were talking about where he's like this is no fucking good and these are not good people yeah yeah and he's decided you know it's finally time for me to make my name by myself and not part of this family um and bring it to the detective and finally you know square away all the uh the debts i may have owed in the past Mm -hmm. um going further back i think an important part of the first act of the movie is to really play into the fantasy of the, of the Italian American mafia. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, oh, there's a lot of food and there's a lot of hugging and your mom is at the pizza place and yeah. Then, you know. And then and by act 2, we really need to just turn that shit on its side yeah. and shine the light on what it really is, you know, yep. you know, it's 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 movie romance, it's it's fantasy that people want to be true. Yeah. Um and then, you know, come act 2, it's kind of like, well, you know, all that shit's not real. Yeah. That's just kind of the way it looks on the outside looking in yeah i think when you do a mafia film you do have a a moral prerogative really uh, to at least try to disabuse the mainstream movie going public of that fantasy idea Mm -hmm. um otherwise you're it's it's a moral failing uh if you make these people look good Mm -hmm. like that's kind of part of the problem i have with the wolf of wall street is that it paints them in a yeah it's like uh, everybody likes those guys yeah like ah jordan belfort what a what a badass and again that's why i go back to goodfellas is by the end of it you're like these are not yeah good people even like you know you you have to you know that that goes for any type of film you're writing or any any type of piece of art you're writing you you have to have characters who are definitely uh flawed but they also have to be believable and you have to feel some way about them. You don't mm-hmm. need to like them. You don't need to love them, but there definitely has to be some emotion towards them that's not just utter hatred or mm-hmm. or you're painting them as a hero no matter what. And especially in real situations like this where these type of things do happen, yeah, these are these are mob guys. These are murderers. These are people who are selling drugs and 
doing a lot of criminal activity. It can't be, oh, man, mob life is just so glamorous. Yeah, you know? I want that. Yeah. No, you don't. Because your job is to ruin lives. Yeah. In one form or another. Yeah. Whether it's giving a guy a loan with a 50% interest rate. Yeah. You're gonna break his kneecaps if he doesn't which, pay. Which would be actually an interesting an interesting premise for like maybe a side plot or like, you know, even one scene. One of these guys, uh, or you know, one of the new guys comes in and they're talking about how like, oh man, I can't wait to, you know, work my way up the ranks and be a part of this family and stuff. And you know, one of their first things is, All right, you gotta go collect from from John down the street and uh if he doesn't have the money, take this bat to him, you know? And, you know, maybe this guy is obviously shuddered by the fact that he's terrified to have to do this mm-hmm. uh the guy doesn't have the money and it's him coming to terms with like i gotta break this guy's knees uh, that's not yeah. what i want to do <laughs> if you let him get away with it he's never gonna pay us back he's yep. always gonna have an excuse yep that's what they say they send someone in to do the business it's it i as soon as i read this article and as soon as i had I'd written up my my plot my cast my director and stuff I, I was searching through netflix and i saw knock around guys on there i haven't seen that movie in like 15 Who, years. Who's in that? Barry Pepper, Vin Diesel, John right, Malkovich, right, 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 Seth right. Green, uh, Dennis Hopper. Uh, I used to love that movie as a kid. Um, that was like one of my favorite movies. I like wore out the DVD. Like that was <laughs> one of those movies that I watched all the time. So I watched it the other day while I was writing this up, writing this stuff up. And uh, yeah, that, that's got some good points about the fact that Barry Pepper's character is, he's just not meant for this life. You know, they bring him down to the basement to, to kill the one guy, uh, Bobby Bolivar, uh, to, to shoot him when he's like 14 years old and he can't do it. And they, the family just decides from that point on, it's like, okay, you're not, you're not built for this and you can't do it. Yep. Um, and you know, that's, that's a whole plot point for the rest of the film, but I digress. That's, that's the idea that I think is important to notate, right? This is not a glamorous lifestyle that people yeah. lead. That is just the fantasy. That is what you see in movies. And like you said, Goodfellas does a great job at painting it in the proper light. Because Godfather romanticizes it, yeah. which, again... Godfather's look, about family, it's about honor, yeah. and it's about respect. And don't, ultimately, those are not... Those are only surface values yeah. for don't, the American Don't mafia. get us wrong. The Godfather is a fantastic film. Francis oh, one of the greatest Coppola's, films ever made. Yeah, one of, one of the greatest films. Uh, some of the greatest characters and everything, but it's, it's not true. Um, and I think that's one thing a lot of people forget is that it is based off of a book. It's you know yeah. it's based off of a piece of fiction. Yeah, it's um, kind of a schlocky book too. Yeah. Like that's, it's, <laughs> Mario uh, uh, Puzo, uh, who wrote those those books, he he wrote like a lot more sort of highbrow stuff before yeah. The Godfather, and he didn't make any money. Yeah, and he was like, well, people are fascinated with crime. Let me just and he he wrote The Godfather pretty quick. Like yeah. this was his money book, and yeah. then it became this thing. Yeah, that they couldn't escape from. <laughs> it's it's interesting. It kind of reminds me of like the fact that like people praise these type of characters like look at scarface it's it's the it's the uh the john mulaney bit like people wear knee long scarface t-shirts i wonder if they know what the movie scarface is about (laughs) it's 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 about the excess of america especially in the 1980s yeah just like the cocaine and the fashion and the cars and built on drugs yeah and yuppie banks that are like yeah we'll wash your money you got a lot of it yeah (laughs) yeah exactly it's not it's not enviable it was you know by the end of the movie tony's alone having killed everyone he loves yeah with his face in a pile of coke yeah it's it's absolutely uh, um it's completely disastrous in terms of you know what it what it did to his character but i think that's the that's the 
part that we want to make sure we steer away from in terms of an audience. The movie does it fine, but the audience comes out of it going like, look, it was awesome. That guy's so cool. Yeah. You know, and like it's you got to kind of hammer it into the audience's head like no this is not cool yeah you're not getting the point <laughs> you're not you're not understanding what we're trying to show you here <laughs> uh, but yeah so okay so i think we have a good take on the idea and the, the the premise that it goes from the 60s to 90s where it where it hits its beats and everything but uh i, I think we don't end in the 90s, I think we end further when Cuomo dies mm-hmm. or, or when he's sentenced to his final his final uh, jail term. Mm-hmm. Um, because at that point, maybe D'Arco is kind of feeling satisfied. Maybe he's feeling he's feeling like something was finished and he, he did a good job. I think um, I have an image in my head um, of, you know, a lot of the old New York was, was built over and, and demolished. Um, in a, oh, there's a mosquito in here. Get away. <laughs> oh, God, I don't want to touch it. <laughs> Hold on. I want to kill this son of a bitch. All right, give Rob a minute. He's on the microphone. He's on the mic. Come <laughs> <laughs> got him. I got him. You got him? <laughs> what books did you use? Uh, six Degrees of Separation and the Spanish English Dictionary. <laughs> oh, Perfect. Holy shit, I was about to make a serious point. <laughs> uh, so I have this image in my head of uh, of Diarco um, watching as the, the pizza place is, like, the signage is taken down once the building is sold. Yeah. Um, and it's converted, it's definitely converted to condos in mm-hmm. that neighborhood. And the bottom floor is probably some yuppie shop or, like, a Starbucks or something. Yeah. And just watching that happen and with a mix of satisfaction and nostalgia and kind of regret on his face Mm -hmm. uh all those kind of happening at once because like there's still a loss happening when a place like that is gone but also he knows what was really there Uh, because that's the thing in my head my my grandmother told me once um (laughs) her her family's like basically ancestral home in brooklyn was demolished to make way for expansions to the bridge. And she said her father would uh, get like a, the, a, a bottle of hooch and a brown paper bag and go <laughs> sit on a bench across from where they were doing the work and watch as they destroyed his mother's yeah. house. Uh, and that's that's kind of the vibe I'm, I'm going for with that there. It's yeah. just that coda of, of watching the place be turned into just another, you know, New York building. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm trying to see on the actual map what is. So okay, so it looks like the original Ray's, um, what's it called, awning and stuff. That's still there. The, the, it looks like the store is still there. So I guess they sold it, but they kept the actual restaurant really? there. Ray's Pizza. Guys, Google along with us. <laughs> uh, Twenty-seven Prince Street. If you do want to look, but yeah, look at uh, the, the street view on my phone. Check it out. Huh. So it is still there. Is, is, that's that's the. The, the Prince Street location? That is the actual address. Wow. Yeah, it's in the article. You know, I bet you somebody reopened it as like a... Uh... <laughs> I wonder if the pizza's still any good. Because <laughs> it's completely different, you know, uh, ownership. But yeah, established 1959. So this is the actual original place. It's still there. Well, hey, it's got five stars on Google. <laughs> Man, I really wonder what the actual basement looks like. Because I think the article did say that like the, the stumps and stuff were still down there. Isn't that fascinating? That's, that the, that's That's just the way that they would build these these structures in New York. These tall structures with yeah. trees holding up the 
the floorboards. It's kind of fascinating. Imagine living above that place. Right? It'd be pretty crazy. I kind of want to go. We should definitely take a trip there one day once, uh, once oh, everything's safe. Oh, it's just right by Washington Square Park. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, wow. it's right down on Prince Street. Yeah. Holy crap. Uh, we'll uh, definitely check it out. It's a great location. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they put to gangbusters in pizza. Oh, yeah, I bet. Uh, wow, yeah. But yeah, well, so uh, maybe... We'll put some photos on Twitter when Nick and I eventually make a pilgrimage when the world isn't burning. Yes, we definitely <laughs> will. And we're going to also... Actually, we should do a, a New York day trip one day because we got to go see the Collier Brothers yes. little plot because the, they have that little uh, monument the, the or whatever. Micro park or whatever Yeah, the micro park. Yeah. Um, that, uh, yeah, that'd be great. We should we should do that. Put that stuff up on Twitter so people can say, "Yay us!" Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I mean I think we got a good grasp on the idea here and the focus of not romanticizing it. Yeah. Because um, I think yeah, what we do is we just end it after he's uh, flipped and talked to the FBI in the '90s. We cut forward another whatever 10, 15 years or so, and we see the the sale of Ray's Pizza or the death of Cuomo, mm-hmm. and um, and that's maybe just kind of like the the final little notch on the belt, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, I don't know what Men else we have suits. to say. Men in suits buying the building. <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know what else we have to say on this one. It's uh, it's a mob movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we could we could definitely have some fun with it. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us again. We hope you liked this week's episode. Uh, remember, we do, we do uh, publish our episodes every other Thursday. Uh, so look for look for new episodes every other Thursday. Uh, follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. Email us at wdygpodcast at gmail.com. We are officially now on Spotify and Google Play, so we yeah, are on the main three. On Spotify. We are on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. So uh, if you want to listen to us there, if you want to listen to us on Podbean, make sure you subscribe, make sure you review. Send us articles. I'm, I'm going to keep beating the dead horse. Send us articles that you think would be awesome for a film pitch. Send us a film pitch of your own. I would love to do a listener's episode where we can kind of go through and talk about some pitches from you guys. <laughs> Mailbag episodes are always my favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we'll post this one up on uh, uh, next Thursday. Uh, we recorded this on the 15th, uh, which is Wednesday. Um, it'll be up next week, and uh, we'll see you guys next time for the next episode. Uh, Rob, do you know what the next episode is going to be? Uh, I do. You'll see. Do you want to give a hint at all or no? Do I want to give a hint? Um, I, I mean, we just talked about a, a pizza restaurant, but that's not what the movie's about, so I'll just say food. Okay. Awesome. All right. So I've been Rob. I've been Nick. That's what we got. What Do You Got is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Vice. You can find her on Twitter at at Gabby Vice. 